Well, if you turn to Mark chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 to 20 uh, this evening. That's page 1005, if you're in a, a church Bible. Mark chapter 4 and verses 1 to 20. Well, if you pay attention to the, the screen, I'm going to show you some pictures, and you need to, uh, like they used to say, what was that program they used to have, Say What You See? Um, catchphrase, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not, it's not catchphrase or anything like that. It's like black and white. But you have to uh, think about what you see when you see the picture, okay? So, not that one. <laughs> that one there. Now, some people will see, um, like, an egg timer... But some people will see two faces. So who saw an egg timer? Who saw the faces? Yeah, most saw the faces. I saw the egg timer. Now for this one, some people see an old uh, woman. But apparently, uh, Paula assures me this is true, but I still can't see it. You can see an, an, a young woman as well. So who, who saw a young woman? Oh, most of you, okay. Well, I only saw the old one, okay. And then this one here. Now, some people may see a face in there. And some people may see uh, someone on a saxophone. So who saw a face? And who saw the saxophone? See, I'm always in the minority because I always saw the second of those. And then finally, we have... Of course, the cross, which to all of us uh, should mean uh, the gospel, shouldn't it? It should mean uh, the remem- remembering the death and, of course, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there is many responses to this image, isn't there? With the other images, there's usually one of two, and maybe some people just can't see anything at all on there. But with the cross, there are many responses uh, to the message. And in in Mark's gospel so far, we've seen many responses to the gospel. We've seen the scribes in Galilee and Judea rejecting the message outright. There has been the sick who have come to Jesus for healing, but have no interest in following him. There were the Messiah-expectant multitudes who didn't really understand the message but wanted the miracles and the overpowering of Roman rulers. But then there were the few who believed in and followed Jesus and responded to his message of repentance and belief in the gospel. In the last uh, time we looked at Mark, these were the ones who were the twelve and others who Jesus described as his brother, sister, and mother. And all of these types of people would have been in the crowd by the lake in the first verse of this passage in Mark. Look at verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered round him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. 
Now, so far in Mark, we have seen Jesus teaching with authority like people have never seen. Demons have been cast out of people and there have been healings at such a rate that some commentators have said that it was almost like he wiped out disease from the areas where he went. We've seen sins being forgiven with the healing and forgiveness of the paralytic. And because of this, crowds would follow him wherever he went. And in chapter 3 and verse 9, we read that he asked the disciples to get a boat ready for him in case he needed it. And in chapter 4, verse 1, he needs the boat. The crowds are so big, he has to go out on the boat into the lake to teach them from there because they're oppressing him so much. But the crowds were so big because they wanted to see the greatest show on earth. They wanted the miracles, or in the case of the Pharisees, they wanted to catch him out with something he said or something he did. But there were some who responded to the message, which, remember, is this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. You see, Jesus did not come as a crowd pleaser or to become the kind of Messiah that the world wanted to see. Jesus came to do the will of his Father. And many people believe that Jesus spoke in parables so that the average working person could understand uh, what Jesus was talking about. And there's an element of truth to this, in that the parables were stories that he told that related to the lives of everyday people. But they also confused an awful lot of people and left them with just a story. And the word parable means uh, to, to compare, to have something alongside something else so you can understand it. We uh, would use the phrase an illustration, if you like. But for the majority of the crowd, the story itself is what they related to rather than the meaning of the story. For a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but only to those who God, through his Spirit, reveals the message to. And in the parable of the sower, we see the purpose of the parables is not just to reveal the kingdom of God, but they also, like the pictures we looked at, conceal it from those who will not believe. Because for the majority of the crowd who were here on this day, when they went home to their dinner tables or went to their places of work, they left with a story about a man who sowed some seed. But that was all they left with. They didn't leave with the meaning. But to those who stayed and sought the meaning from Jesus, those who believed in him, the kingdom of God in the teaching of Christ was revealed to them. And it's all about how we hear. And verse 9 is the key verse this evening. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And we need to hear with ears and hearts open to receive the words of Christ. Otherwise, the words of God will be like a riddle to us. And we must listen carefully to this particular parable in Mark. 
Now, we've said before that Mark moves through his gospel really quickly. And uh, when Tim preached the first sermon uh, in Mark on chapter 1, he said that we focus uh, in Mark more on the works of Jesus rather than the words, which is true, except we have uh, an exception here in Mark 4, because he parks from the normality of Mark to focus on this particular section. And he parks alongside Matthew and Luke, who also record this parable, which is the key to understanding all the others. So let's listen to what Jesus has to say. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. So let me read to you, first of all, verses uh, 1 to 9, because the, the passage is split really into two bits, the, the parable itself, and then the meaning, and then there's like a bridge in between, uh, which we'll look at as well. So let's look at, first of all, verses 1 uh, through 9, or verses 2 to 9. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up, choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew and produced a crop multiplying 30, 60, or even a 100 times. Then Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. Well, a key thing to notice uh, as we start this uh, parable is the difference in the two sections in the audience. Here, in verses 1 to 9, Jesus is speaking to a crowd a large crowd, whereas in the second section we'll see that he speaks to a few. And therefore, since the crowd didn't remain, and the few that did didn't understand, we can see that the initial telling of the story of a man sowing his seed is a parable concealed. A parable concealed. So let's look at the story in a bit more detail. The, the, the crowd would have been familiar with this picture of a farmer sowing his seed. Farmers there would always scatter their seed uh, by hand and plough afterwards, meaning that sometimes seed was always wasted. And he says as he was scattering the seed, and as he did so it would have been just, you know, not not in any particular place, he was scattering it all over. As he was scattering, because he was scattering in this way, The seed, uh, some fell on the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now the fields in ancient Israel were long, narrow strips, and they were divided up uh, by little paths. And people would walk over these paths, or sometimes travel over them in horses and, and carts and things like that. So this path turned hard as concrete, as the seed which fell here would never go into the soil but just bounce about on top. It's a bit like um, on, a, on a sports pitch that people are running around on all the time. All the grass gets churned up and it, in the sun it becomes hard like concrete, doesn't it? And that's exactly the same thing. When the seed uh, was thrown, it was as if it was concrete and just didn't penetrate the soil 
whatsoever. So as the seed remained on the surface, the birds would fly down, and there it was, because it didn't go underneath anything. It was on top. They would just eat the seed. And then Jesus talks about another type of soil. In verse 5, some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Well, in ancient Israel, uh, some of the soil is only about two to three inches thick, and underneath the soil is limestone rock. And if the seed falls here, because it doesn't go deep, when the sun shines on it, it gets really warm, and with the heat and the light being near, it comes up really quickly. And initially, it looks like the best kind of soil. You have a really good initial crop. But the problem is, with the limestone rock underneath, there's nowhere for the roots to go, and nowhere for it to get moisture, and so it evapor- uh, as the moisture evaporates from near the surface, and because it's so shallow, the plant dies. But the third soil uh, gets a little better. You'll notice as Jesus is speaking, by the way, that of the gradual increase in, in the crop, in the, in the, in the way the, the, the seeds uh, grow. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Now, the soil here is good soil for growing. This is just like the soil in my garden. It's good for growing, it just grows loads of weeds. And in this case thorns and it has depth and it has places for the roots to go but the problem is it's overcrowded with thorns so that the fruit cannot produce as it's choked by the overcrowded thorns and because the thorns are stronger uh, there's no room for it to grow but some seed falls on the good soil in verse 8 it came up It grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, to our Western 21st century, and and dare I say uh, non-agricultural ears, we don't quite grasp the extent of this crop. From what I've read, an average crop from an average farmer sowing his seed is seven and a half times what was sown. Not much more than this would be a bumper crop. But the minimum that this good soil produces is 30 times. The hearers of this story would have realised that this is supernatural. This is not normal. This never happens. And at the climax of this story, when everyone would have been turning to one another and saying, wow... A soil that produces 30 as a, as a minimum, 60, 100 times? As they were turning and perhaps gasping at one another at this good soil, Jesus turns and says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And thus ends the story. And in this part of the passage, most people go home. They go away. And they've heard the parable of the sower. Now, to most of you sitting here, I'm sure that this passage is extremely familiar to you. But the only reason that we understand what it means is because we have the second part of the scriptures revealed to us, don't we? These people went home with just the story. You see, Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, but not everyone really heard. They all heard the story, 
And everyone knew the, the cultural context better than uh, any of us really today. But not everyone understood what Jesus was really meaning. They did not have ears to really hear. It was just a story, a riddle, a parable concealed. And they disobeyed the command to listen and did not have ears to hear because really they were in the crowd for something else. A miracle, a demon cast out, or a mistake to report back to the Pharisees. You see, in the next verse, we see the crowd is gone and he was alone. The twelve and the others were around him. Jesus had more than just the twelve disciples following him and seeking after him, and, and this is shown here. But it's important in understanding this passage to notice that the crowd was really big. And it's so big it forced him to be in a boat. But here, there was the twelve and the others that stayed behind after class and wanted to understand the parables. Well, why does Jesus speak in this way? Why speak in such a way that the majority of your audience go away without understanding what you've said? I mean, surely Jesus, as, as the Son of God, could do better than that. Surely he, everyone could go away and, and understand exactly what to do and then would go and do it. Why speak in such a way that does not appease the crowd and in a way that actually leaves him with so few followers? Well, let's look at verses 10 to 12. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, The secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. Well, there are two types of people here that Jesus is telling a parable to. Firstly, there are the the you the disciples and others with him. To these people, the parables reveal the kingdom of God to them. These are those who who stayed with Jesus, who believe in who he is and respond to his message. And to these, Christ reveals the secrets of the kingdom of God by revealing it to them in parables so that they can understand. You see, the parables were given to these people so so Christ reveals the secrets of his kingdom. Just turn uh, one chapter ahead uh, to chapter 4 and verse 33. Just to point out uh, this point, uh, Jesus uh, is, is speaking in parables and verse 33, Mark tells us, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. So he spoke with parables that they could understand, but they understood with the explanation from Christ. They explained, they had everything explained to them. But what about the second type of person? Because we'll look at the first type more in a moment when it is revealed. But the second type of person are those on the outside. Those are the ones who do not believe. This is the majority of the crowd who came not to really hear about the message of the kingdom, but to see the greatest show on earth. 
To these on the outside, the parables conceal or confuse. And this is a judgment, which is why Jesus quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, where Isaiah receives that call to be uh, the prophet, and he says, here I am, send me. He, it's, the, the, the call is famous, isn't it? His response. But what's not so famous is the role he's given, which is to be a preacher who people will never understand. It's quite depressing if you think about it in a way. His ministry was to preach to a people that would not understand and would not hear, would not listen, and would reject his message. And Isaiah was being told that Israel was being judged for their rejection of God with a lack of understanding. You see, Israel had seen God's power. They had seen it at work in their nation, and they stubbornly refused to believe in God. So God brought judgment upon them by hardening their hearts so that they would not respond. And in a similar way, at this point in Jesus' ministry, although we're only in chapter 4, he's about halfway through. And people had seen his amazing teaching. They'd seen him casting demons out. They'd seen his miracles. They'd seen his forgiveness of sins. They'd seen him debating with the Pharisees. They'd seen him reveal his identity, really, in doing these things. But the majority stubbornly refused to believe in him as the Messiah. They refused to uh, submit to the message. And Jesus judges their unbelief with parables with stories that will only harden their hearts and stories that they would never understand the meaning of because he will not reveal it to them. Remember, um, if you will, the book of Exodus and Pharaoh as an example here. Now, when you read Exodus, you have the plagues, don't you? And at the beginning, the Bible says that Pharaoh hardened his heart towards God. But as the plagues go on, you see a switch, and it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You see, we cannot continue to reject God, because God will not continue to call. And it's foolish, in that sense, to make some sort of promise of a deathbed conversion. Aside from the fact that you, of course, may, uh, you never know when your deathbed is, You may uh, be on your deathbed and you may call for a, a minister or somebody to come and read the scriptures to you, but you may never understand. It may be hidden and your heart may be hardened. Isaiah uh, chapter 55 and verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. To those on the outside who have rejected Christ, being persistent in unbelief, they are told parables so that they will not understand and that they will not turn, that they will not be forgiven. They are rejected by God. God speaks in parables to them as a judgment. But when he speaks in parables, Jesus speaks to both Uh, the believers, and those under judgment at the same time. And one commentator says that he didn't attempt to separate the unbelievers from the believers. He constructed his teaching in such a way that those who had believed would understand 
And those who had rejected, even though they had heard, would not understand. And so to those who believe, this parable does not conceal, but rather reveals the kingdom of God to them. It is a parable revealed. A parable revealed. But Jesus' followers didn't understand this parable on their own. Look at verse 13. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? You see, in verse 10, uh, the disciples asked him about the parables. They were asking him, Lord, we don't understand this. They didn't understand what he was saying. And without Jesus, and without the Holy Spirit who he's given us, uh, revealing it to us, we too don't understand anything really about the gospel. And therefore Jesus goes on to explain. And we have to wholly uh, rely on Jesus to reveal anything in the scriptures. Sometimes uh, some of you may uh, think that uh, as, uh, as preachers we, just, we can open the Bible and uh, it's there, we just know it. We can just write down a sermon, come and do it, and, and that's it. It's not as easy as that. We have to uh, pray and ask the Lord to reveal the scriptures to us, even uh, passages which uh, may be really familiar to you, like even this one. I've wrestled with this. I've prayed and I've asked the Lord, Lord, reveal this to me. Help me to understand. Because without a reliance on God, we will not understand anything. Jesus uh, reveals it to us, but we have to. Ask, we need to seek Him and ask Him to understand. There's no uh, person that has enough Bible training or any description that doesn't, therefore, uh, anymore have to rely on God to reveal the Scriptures to them. We need Jesus so much, don't we? But Jesus goes on to explain in the pattern uh, we looked at in chapter four, uh, where he explained everything. Uh, he explains this parable. So his followers had a parable revealed. So what does it mean? Well, we'll look at each soil in turn. But in short, it reveals the various responses to the gospel message that Jesus proclaims. Verse 14 tells us that the farmer sows the seed. So again, the message or the word, oh sorry, the farmer sows the word. Sorry, I made the mistake there. The farmer sows the word. And the message or the word is this. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. And the message of Christ and our message is the same. So in that sense, we're all the farmers, aren't we? We're all the farmers. We're all sowing or should be sowing the word. And God's kingdom has arrived in, today in his risen king. And we call people to do the same thing. Repent and believe the gospel. And Jesus left us with the great commission. And this parable is about that evangelism and that how people respond to the great commission. How people respond to the gospel. So how do they respond? Well, first of all, uh, verse 15 tells us some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. So the first expectation is utter rejection of the gospel. Utter rejection of the gospel. As soon as the gospel is preached, the words are forgotten. This kind of person is a a skeptic or a person distracted from listening at all by other things. The word doesn't even enter their hearts and it doesn't hang around to do so. 
because Satan takes it away. Now we cannot, by the way, use this verse to somehow blame the devil for the lack of hearing in this person. It is our heart that is hard, so as to not even allow the word to enter it at all. You see, if the, when the birds came flying down, if the seed was actually implanted in the soil, they wouldn't have been able to pluck it away. But for this person, their heart is so hard that the word just doesn't even penetrate whatsoever. The second soil is the rocky path in verses 16 to 17. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no roots, they only last a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Expect temporary converts. Expect temporary converts. These are ones to whom the gift of God in eternal life sounds wonderful. Of course I want to go to heaven. Who'd want to go to hell? I'll put my hand up and and believe in Jesus. But they don't count the cost. A true follower of Jesus doesn't have an easy life. We walk the narrow and difficult way. Jesus warns us of this many times. And we looked at the first chapter of Mark, at the calling of the disciples, at disciples that left their families and businesses behind to follow Jesus. It wasn't an easy thing. And these same disciples were later called to give their life for the gospel. But even uh, just the basic disciplines of the Christian life, such as prayer, reading our Bible, sharing our faith, these, these basic things can be a real battle. Now, we don't do these things in order to be saved, but we're called to do these things if we are serious about following Jesus. And if we've, if we've truly repented and given our lives uh, to him, we'll want to do these things that he's called us to do. Uh, on, a, on, a, on the list of books that perhaps all Christians should read, as well as, obviously, the Bible's number one, but uh, one of the books that I would recommend every Christian read is J.C. Ryle's book on holiness. And he talks about a true believer in this way. Their life is a continual warfare with sin, the world and the devil, and sometimes you will see them not overcoming, but overcome. The flesh is everlasting against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and in many things they offend all. But still, for all of this, I am sure that to have such a character as I have faintly drawn, which is holy, a holy character, is the heart's desire of all true Christians. All true Christians are not perfect, but they wish they were because Jesus wants them to be. A true Christian is not perfect, but they wish they were. And a true Christian stays with God in the midst of trials, but we should expect those who are temporary converts, who initially respond but do not count the cost and they fall away. They are not God's children, but they are self-centered people of the world. And so the third response then is the, thorn, is the soil of the thorns. Look at verses 18 to 19. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word... But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. These hearers have the word go a bit deeper. In fact, the soil here is good in that it's fertile. 
But the problem is it grows thorns as well as the word. These people, if you like, have a foot in two camps and their repentance is is not complete. And the phrase, the worries of this life, are not worries like my 17-year-old daughter's driving or I might be late for work or anything like that. Uh, The worries of this life could also be translated the distractions of the age. The distractions of the age. Things that just take our attention completely away from the word. So these people still enjoy watching those filthy TV programs that their mates find funny. They're not prepared to change their Sunday routine in order to be with God's people. They love to spend all their time on the internet rather than following Jesus and reading their Bibles. These people love money and, want, and believe it will make them happy. These people want to follow Jesus, but he's just something else on their list. They've not really repented and really given their life to him. And also, by the way, these people are utterly miserable. Because you cannot serve God and mammon, and when you try, you're just miserable because you realise you can't. And trying to leads to misery. You see, the gospel does not promise us wealth or earthly treasure of any sort. In fact, it calls us, quite the opposite, to forsake all, deny ourselves, and follow him. And so the final soil is where it is good. And in the final verse of this evening's passage, we see the reason the seed was sown in the first place. Look at verse 20. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word accepted and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. And as we saw before, this was a miraculous crop. And some hear the word, receive it, and really become a miracle. What is this crop? This crop is Christians who follow Christ and they're bearing fruit. We know that we are to bear fruits as Christians. We're to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We know that we are to produce the fruits of using uh, the gifts that the Spirit has given us. We know we're to produce the fruit of sowing more seed ourselves and then seeing others come to Christ. And as we live for Jesus faithfully, he produces fruit in us in varying degrees. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times, but all a miraculous and supernatural crop. Because we were once dead in our trespasses and sins. And God has made us alive. Resurrection, physically and spiritually, is a miracle of God. It is a miracle just like this crop. And the fact that we can produce any fruit for God is a miracle of grace. A miracle of grace. And although we shouldn't be living to get from, uh, to, you know, to, from being a Christian of 30 to a Christian of 60, and then eventually we should all try and become a, a hundred a Christian, we're to live faithful lives, following Jesus, doing what he calls us to do, And then he produces the miraculous crop of varying degrees. We're called to be faithful. 
And that is good soil. Good soil are faithful Christians who follow Jesus. You see, there is great power in the seed, but it needs the right kind of soil. And so how do we apply this to our lives? Well, as we we close, let me give some applications to this, because um, it's easy for us as Christians to to sit here this evening and think, great, I'm good soil because I've believed in Jesus, I'm following him, I'm all right. Well, let me give you some applications. First of all, though, it is true to say, uh, as Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. I ask you, how do you hear the gospel? First of all, you need to accept the gospel, don't you? That Jesus is the God who is king and who has died for our sins and has risen and ascended and is coming back to judge those who do not believe and to call home those who follow him. And he asks you to repent. That means to turn from sin and follow him and believe this good news that he has died and risen again. So my first question, how do you hear the gospel? Are you rejecting it utterly like the first soil? Are you not wanting to follow Jesus because it's going to be hard? Are you undecided over whether you really want to follow Jesus because you love this world so much? Or are you willing to repent and follow him? But secondly, for us uh, who believe, we need to ensure that we are fulfilling the work of the farmer in sowing the word. We need to be indiscriminately proclaiming the gospel, regardless of how we think people respond. Notice this farmer just throws his seed everywhere, and it hits the bad soils as well as the good. You see, it's God who has his people that he chooses to save, but we are called as his people to obey in proclaiming the gospel. And we must do that. God will reveal it to whom he will. But we are to be sowers of the word who sow it all over, everywhere we can. So are you telling people about Jesus? Thirdly, this should uh, help us as we consider how we proclaim the gospel, how we proclaim it. Now this is not... um, I was debating whether to put this application in, but I will do because we're, we've got, we're talking about Mission Week and all these things that are coming up. We need to spread the word all over, but we need to be careful we're not cultivating and focusing only on soil that is not good. So, for example, if our sowing is based on just stirring up emotions to get people all hyped up to believe in Jesus, the likelihood is you're going to find rocky soil. Because they're all emotional in the evening, but then Monday morning comes and all of a sudden the trials and tribulations of the world come, don't they? Or, for example, you make some sort of promises to those who you think will respond, such as, well, you know, God will really bless you if you're saved and uh, you won't have to worry about anything. Life will be just great. Well, you're likely to find thorny ground there, aren't you? You see? So how are we to proclaim? Well, all the soils will be found as we sow the word of God. And so the focus should be on the truth of the gospel in the preaching of the Bible. Now this message is not easy. We call people to deny themselves, forsake all and follow Christ as king. 
But our focus of sowing should be the Bible, as hard as it is. It's a message which is a stumbling block, and it is hard. And sometimes it calls us to explain things that are not easy to explain. It tells us to tell things which people don't want to hear. But we're to sow the word. Sow the word. We can come up with all sorts of ways to fill our church, but the best thing we can do is sit down with someone and read the Bible with them. And that's something we can all do. That is sowing the word. Reading the Bible with people, telling them about the Bible, telling them about Jesus. Not coming up with all these other fancy ways of doing things. Just tell them about Christ. Sow the word. And finally, in application, as we live faithfully for him, we will produce fruit as we do so. Faithfully sowing the word of God everywhere we can. The good soil will be found. People will come to faith. And so this week, as you go about your business, do as Paul says, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. So tell people about Jesus, live faithfully for him, and trust God to do the miraculous work of salvation. It's not your job to save people. It's your job to sow the word, isn't it? So if you remember just one thing, from this message this evening. It is this, just sow, sow, sow the word of God. Just sow the word. Tell people about Jesus. And the words of our next song uh, tell us about this. It says uh, these words uh, in the first verse. For he has offered hope to all mankind through sending Jesus to the cross And now this light he's shone into our hearts, we're holding out to all the world. And the chorus tells us, we will sing out, we will proclaim the wonder, the joy of his endless grace. So I encourage